sound team, can you hear me? Can you hear me? You got me? Can you guys turn these middle two lights on? I think somebody might have brushed them. There you go. Let there be light. We are children of the light, right? We don't have to dwell in darkness any longer. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to tag on just briefly before I jump into the, my, my message about what Eric said about giving is good for you. You know, giving is, is really powerful, and, and it's, it does something to our heart. And, and how I want to tag that is, is that worship is the same way. God does not need anything. He doesn't need like we need. We need air, we need food, we need sleep, we need a job. We need a job. But God doesn't need anything. But he takes a lot of delight and pleasure. So when he calls us to worship, when he calls us to, to honor him with our, our finances, it's not because he's lacking something, like he needs a, 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 an ego boost. You know, he's not depressed going, oh, does anybody love me? I need you. Sing some songs about me today. Help me feel better. No, he's completely great with himself. The reason he calls us to worship is for us. He hardwired into the DNA of every human being the desire to worship something. Everyone's a worshiper. Everyone worships something. Everyone. Atheists are worshiping themselves. They're worshiping their brain or their thinking. I don't care who you are, you're wired that way. So it really is beneficial if we discover kind of the God of the universe and give it to Him. Because it's in us and we have to worship. So when you come up and worship, if you will give your heart to the Lord in worship, if you will pour it out, you will love on Him, you will, you will praise Him, shout, clap, sing, whatever the Bible tells you to do, man, that's a work that's going on in your heart. I can tell when something's not going on in the people's hearts. I just, I'm sitting here on the drums and I just watch. I can see who's depressed. I can see who's bored. I can see where there's life is lacking in the heart of a person. Just by the way they're engaging or not engaging. It's for you that God calls us to worship. Amen? <clears throat> so I, I kind of gave just a quick preview last week or introduction of what I want to talk about. And, and Eric said it. It's this thing of how we hit the reset button in our life. You know, it's, it's like uh, as my kids, when they're playing in the yard and, and things don't go right for one of them, they go, wait, wait, do over, do over. No, wait, wait, I wasn't, you know, let's start over because I'm losing, <laughs> right? Well, we're the same way. <laughs> I'm losing, <laughs> start over, do over. And so we want to hit the reset button, you know. We, we were staring at the blue screen of death for too long on your computer. And so the way we, we fix that is sometimes we can just hit that reset button and it just starts over. It makes us so happy. Amen? Yeah. 
especially when it boots right up. But if we want to start over, if we want to do over, if we want to wipe the, the chalkboard clean, we have, to, we have to do it the way the Bible says to do it. It's not just wishful thinking on your part. It's not just Monday morning came and, okay, it's a new week, I'm going to start over. There's more to it. It's not just a New Year's resolution, you know. You don't just show up in 2014 and go, okay, now here are all the new things I'm going to do, and it's a brand new yeah, it is a brand new year, but things may not be brand new for you this year. If you don't hit the reset the way the Bible instructs those who follow God to hit the reset button. There are no new beginnings if we don't do it the way the Word of God tells us. And so the way we do that, the Bible uses this word called repentance. Everybody say repentance. Everybody say, reset means repentance. Reset means repentance. Now, what does that word mean, repentance? And I told you last week, and I'm going to tell you again this week. It's this, this thing where we turn. It's like we're going down the road, usually in a sinful one. It's really wide. There's lots of people with us. You know, they're all sinning, so we all feel good together, you know, because he sins the way I sin, and she sins the way I sin, and so we feel good about how we're sinning. And then we're confronted with truth of God, and we go, oh, wait a second. There's a fiery pit at the end of this road. I don't want to go there. And so repentance means I turn, and I start moving in the opposite direction of sin, and in a direction towards God. Towards God. Not just a new direction. You know, I'm just not forking off the road and starting another wide path. It's turning. It's turning back to God. It's, it's turning from sin, or it's turning from disobedience. It's turning from rebellion and turning towards the Lord, back to Him. It's, it's changing your mind. It's changing the way you think. That's what repentance is about. It's not, oops, I got caught. I feel bad. There's, there's this thing of remorse that when, when the spirit of repentance falls on your heart, you feel bad. You have regret for what you did yesterday or last year or 30 years ago. Repentance has to produce that godly sorrow. It's the act of turning around and going in the opposite direction of sin, rebellion, and disobedience. Now, I want to, we have to understand that there are consequences when we live with unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our life. There is a war that's going on inside of you, even right now. There is a war that's going on inside of me and inside of you. We have a constant battle between the new nature that Jesus gave us and the old nature, which we're trying to desperately live down. That's a battle. That's a war that's on the inside of you. 
and it's on the inside of me. And, and the simplest explanation for how sin happens in our life is this. Sometimes the old guy wins the fight. That's it. See, there's a new part of you that's incapable of sinning. That part that Jesus came and, and he made brand new is not capable of sinning, but the part of you, that old part, it is. And they're fighting it out every second of the day. And sometimes the old guy wins. And that's when sin happens. We all sin. Every one of us. I do, you do. Now, does the fact that we all sin give us a license to continue sinning? Oh, no way. No, see, God expects us to turn from and repent from known sin and walk in victory. He expects that of us. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, in verse 1 and 2, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we live in sin when we know it's sin any longer? Proverbs 16, verse 6. I'm going to read this out of the New King James. It says, In mercy and truth... Atonement is provided for iniquity. That's a fancy Bible word for sin. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. And then I love what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. He says in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps... What he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap what? Destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So before we kind of get into the to the positive, I want to kind of look in the dark side of what life is like when we live with unconvinced unconvicted sin, unrepentant sin, unconfessed sin. And you know, I, I realize, and here's, here's even the battle that goes in my heart when I prepare this kind of stuff, is, you know, I hear all the voices of immature Christians who say, you're talking about sin, it's legalism, don't be so sin conscious. I do, I hear those voices. And I go, really? You don't want to hear about the bad stuff? No, we don't. Just tell us how great it is. But I, I just, I praise God that I can read my Bible and I can see where Jesus and Paul and all the great guys, they preached about sin. And here's the thing. I think why we've got to preach about sin even more now is because we've lost what it is. I, I mean, we're living in a postmodern, if you guys remember, love rejoices in truth, and I talked about the postmodern secular point of view, that worldview that says everything's okay. Just because it's bad for you doesn't mean it's bad for me. No, that's 
And so, so we don't know what sin is any longer. We, we, nothing's sin. That's not true. The Bible tells us every sin we need to think about. So what is unrepentant sin? It's the sins that the Bible clearly says we are supposed to be repenting of when we come to Christ. And if we fail to repent from these sins, then they are unrepentant. Sins that need to be repented of, in case you don't know, are things like immorality, drunkenness. It's still a sin. Getting drunk. You can add drug abuse in there. Filthy language. Covetousness, meaning I want something someone else has got. Gosh, this one's a broad one. Evil desires. How about anger, or wrath, or malice? Ooh. Blasphemy, lying, stealing, hating, being jealous is a sin we have to repent from. Now, sometimes there are areas in our life that God convicts us of personally which we need to repent of. Things like an attitude. Maybe a sin of omission. And, and what does that mean? A, a sin of omission is a sin that we commit by not doing something. Now, wherever you believe about tithes and offerings, I, you know, I don't have time to teach you about that. But I read the Bible, and in the New and Old Testament, it tells me to give God tithes. Jesus said it, and the whole Old Testament says it. So, your erroneous thinking that I can take and not give my tithe to the church, I can give it to Joyce Meyer, and I can give it to myself because I don't like to pay it, is sin. And when you don't pay your tithe to the church that you attend, that is the sin of an omission. It's a sin I committed by not doing the right thing. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be together in fellowship. That we should be doing this or something like this often and frequently. When the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves, and you forsake the gathering of yourself, guess what you did? You sinned. You are now the sin of omission. It wasn't because I did something. It was because you didn't do something. Now, you can call that legalistic all you want, but I'm just telling you Bible verses. This is just Bible verses. I don't have to reinterpret this for you. I realize that, well, what constitutes a gathering, Pastor Tom? Three or more said Jesus says he's with us, so I got with three Christians this week, so I don't have to go to church Sunday. Yeah, your, your maturity level is so up here. Thank you for teaching us. Sins of omission have to be repented of. So whatever God says in his word or whatever he puts in your heart and he says to you in your heart, we have to do that. Now, I want to share some consequences just to help kind of create some pressure on the inside of us. Of what happens 
When we live with unconfessed and unrepentant sin, everybody say, yay. Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here's your first point. Write this down if you're taking notes today. If not, shame on you. God loves you, but you're probably going to be immature forever. Sorry, I don't want to offend any new people. If you're here, we love you. Your first time guest, we are a church going hard after God. We're not normal Christians. We are really like Bible Christians. At least we're trying. We're trying really hard because we love Jesus so much. And he deserves more than any one of us has ever given him. So when we don't have, when we have sin that we've not confessed, that we're living in, that's unrepentant, it brings a loss of Christian joy. You lose your joy. You see, one of the fruits of coming into the kingdom of Jesus, of knowing Jesus, of having him in my heart, of receiving him is, is that we have joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Now say it with a smile. Joy. You should have joy. As a result of your connection to the God who created you. But you don't have it when you live in sin. When we continue to walk in sin, whatever it may be that God's convicting you of, we will be robbed of this precious joy that comes with our salvation. And guess what happens when you lose your joy? The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So guess what happens when a Christian lives in an unrepentant sin and they lose their joy? What happens? They become weak. Now, what does that mean, weak? Like you can't pick up the groceries anymore. You can't, you know, get yourself dressed. can't pick yourself out of the tub any longer. No. It means your resolve. It means your power to, to pursue God with all of your heart becomes weak and you become a victim. I can't, I, I, I don't, I can't do the right things. I'm so weak. I have no strength. I'm not happy. I'm, depo- I'm just depressed and sad. And so let's go to the sin that I keep committing that gives me comfort. You don't have strength to be a great Christian. You don't have strength to be a great follower of God. It's impossible to be happy and joyful when we have unjudged, unrebuked, unconfessed sin in our life. It's impossible. Sin brings this this beating to our conscience. It beats on our heart. And, And sin, when we don't deal with it right, it brings a rebuke of the Holy Spirit in our life. Holy Spirit has to show up. You know, in Psalm 51, we we see this heartbroken 
prayer that comes out of David's life after he sinned with Bathsheba. You know, remember, the story is that David should have been out to war. Instead, he was just, you know, staying at home playing Xbox all day long. And so, you know, he sent out the guys to go do his, his, fight, his fight for him. And so, you know, he got bored. He was in between levels, and he went out to the patio, and he's eating his Doritos, and he's just like, I'm bored, and I don't know what to do with my life. And he looks over the top of his huge palace, and he sees this beautiful naked woman taking a bath. And he goes, hmm. I love overindulging myself in all kinds of pleasure, and I see her, so I want her. So he has her brought to him. More than likely, he rapes her. And she gets pregnant. And he sends her away, because that's what immature boys do. She gets pregnant, and he finds out. And he knows he's in trouble, at least with her husband, because she's a married woman. So he has this devilish idea. Call her husband home, try to get him drunk, and have sex with his wife. So he'll think that her pregnancy is his. Uriah is a great guy. He's a man of honor and integrity, and he refuses. He's like, because he, see, he had the right attitude. See, David should have been in the field. He wasn't. Uriah was in the field. Uriah came home. David's trying to get him to, you know, live it up, man. He's like, I can't. I got brothers in the field who are dying. How dare I? How dare I, you know, read? I don't even know the word. How dare I indulge? There we go. While they're out spilling their blood. So he sleeps on the steps. So David's like, this isn't going well. I needed him to have sex with his wife, and he won't because he's a man of integrity. And so here, here's a letter to your captain, and it's gonna, he's going to have you killed out on the field. They're going to rush to the front line, and then they're all going to pull back, and you're going to die. And so it's all okay. So let's count them. Adultery, lying, murder, more lying, rape. I mean, wow. And he thought he could cover it up for a while. Till Nathan shows up. The man of God who hears the voice of God. And he brings the hammer on David and, and finally David realizes what happened. And in verse 8 of chapter 51, long as he's suffered through this, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Oh God, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. And then in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David had been weeping because his baby died as a result of this sin. 
He had been weeping over his lost fellowship with God. And finally, when the godly sorrow that he needed touched his heart, he he cried out and he begged to be clean. He begged to God to give him a new heart, to give him a right spirit. He begged for fellowship of the Holy Spirit again. And And then he says, restore to me the joy of being a son of God. David lost his joy. And he knew that the only way which could restore that would be this cleansing of his sin. It would only be that the comfort of the Holy Spirit's presence coming back to his life. That he knew his joy could come back. And I want to say this, if there, uh, anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ, to know Jesus as Savior, yet practices living in a sin, and you have no burning guilt, you have no conscience, there's no pain in your soul over how you're living, I want you to know that is a clear sign that you're not saved. The church is filled with people who think they're Christians. And they have no conviction when they sin. They have no guilt. They feel no pain in their soul when they sin against God or each other. If that's you, you're not going to heaven. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, why do you think Peter went out and he wept so bitterly? And he denied Christ. Sin took every ounce of joy from his life. And it will take your joy if you allow it to go unjudged in your life. If it goes unconfessed and unrepentant, it will steal your joy. Number two. Sin will quench and grieve the Holy Spirit and His ministry in your life. Another way of saying that is His working in your life. If we sin and we continue in sin and we don't repent and we don't confess, it diminishes the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul tells us, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, Do not quench the Spirit. 
You know, one of the ways the Holy Spirit is quenched and grieved is when we allow sin to go unrepented. See, it, pre- it prevents him from performing his ministry on our behalf. The word quench, it, it means, it means to, to put something out like, like a fire or a light. It's like we went up to a candle and to extinguish, to terminate. In fact, I like how the way the NIV translates 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. You see, in order for His ministry, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to be fully released in our lives, He has to have influence over your will. He has to be able to guide, lead, shape, move our heart and our mind and our will. He has to own us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? What are we? You are not your own. You're not your own. You've been bought for, paid for. And sin diminishes much of the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. The blessed Holy Spirit. Now, listen, when you sin, He doesn't leave, okay? Let's get that. He doesn't leave when you sin, but his work is hindered. I mean, let me just give you a list of some things the Holy Spirit should be doing for everyone in this room. Everyone, okay? Not just the the super spiritual. This is everyone. This is the work of the Holy Spirit should be doing in everyone. Number one, he should be giving you assurance of your salvation. You should be living knowing I am His. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts, convinces, and reminds you, you are saved. The Holy Spirit is the voice of God. When we talk about hearing God or hearing the voice of God, it's His voice, the Holy Spirit's voice. He's the voice of God. If you can't hear God, there might be something wrong. Now, maybe you're just not trained and you need to be brought up in it. That's fine. But maybe there's something in your life that won't allow the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be opening our understanding to the things of God. Well, I don't get the Bible, Tom. I don't understand it. Well, the Holy Spirit will help you. That's his job. The Holy Spirit guides and directs our life. He strengthens our inner being. He enables us to pray in accordance with God's will. I don't know how to pray. Well, 
Pray the Bible. <laughs> you can't go wrong there. The, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be producing Christ-like fruit, faithfulness, joy, love, peace, patience. That's what the Holy Spirit's work in your life is to do. He guides you through personal struggles. Man, when life get hard, when gets hard, you need him. When your marriage is falling apart, you need him. When your kids are going off the deep end, man, you need him. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you. Can we afford to lose his anointing in our life? I want you to know it happens all the time. Number three. Sin brings reproach on Christ, the church, and the Bible. Now, the word reproach, it's, it, you can also say it brings criticism. It's bad press. Unrepentant sin in a Christian's life brings criticism, bad press. It brings reproach to Jesus, to the church, and to the word of God. One of the worst things that, a, that the sin in, in our lives does is it, it brings this, this reproach, this criticism to the cause of Christ. And on Jesus' name. I mean, think about how Jerusalem was probably buzzing after Peter did what he did. After he denied the Lord. I mean, seriously. People knew who he was. They were calling him out. Peter denied the Lord. He cursed, he swore, and he quit the ministry. Like, right there. You know, when the prophet Nathan rebuked David for his sin, he told him that his sin had brought reproach and had given his enemies an opportunity to blaspheme. Now, we would say, well, I can't, I can't affect what people say about God. Really? The Bible says when we live in sin, we give them an opportunity to blaspheme our God. The way you live your life, the way you conduct yourself at work, at school, at the grocery store, the way you live on Facebook. God help us. <laughs> the complaining... The, the faithless statements that I read, the worldly view, the, the, the ungodly, unbiblical worldview that the church is posting, it's sad. 
we're bringing reproach to Jesus. The name of Christ, that, that in one post you say, I hate it, I hate people that do this, I hate people that do that. And then the next post, you, you, you post your, you know, your scripture for the day. Really? Get delivered from your bipolarness or... I mean, the Bible had a word for that thousands of years ago. It's called double-mindedness. Your prayers don't get heard. Life don't go well for you. That's just the Bible. For the bipolar, there was double-mindedness. I hate this. I hate that. This makes me so sick. Puke, 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 puke. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Please don't. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Don't, don't say anything. You really, you're ruining it for the rest of us. You're making it really difficult. You're ill-informed, you're illiterate, you're unbiblically literate. I mean, at least spell. Do spell check or something. I know you're working on it, Mike. See, it's not unrepentant. It's repentant. He's repenting for the lack of spell check in his life. Well, let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, this is again about Bathsheba, the holy deal there. I have sinned against the Lord, confessed, David confessed to Nathan. Then Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin, which could have happened. Absolutely. was supposed to happen, by the way, according to the law. But you have given great, and I'm reading from the Living Bible, so you may not say it like this. I, but you, David, have given great opportunity to the enemies of the Lord to despise and blaspheme him. So your child's going to die. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just think about all the nationally known preachers who have fallen. I just feel bad. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, Ted Haggard, Todd Bentley. I mean, gosh, the list just goes on and on. And yes, I thank God that the blood of Jesus has the power to save and cleanse even fallen national leaders. Still serve the Lord. Still continue in the work of God. But it is undeniable the black eye. You know, when just us normal folk live in sin and don't repent and fall, it just it becomes a reproach in our families and in our city. And you know, the enemies, the, the enemies of God, just they, they can't wait for us to fail. When we don't deal with our sin, our failures become a reproach and shame that brings down the whole cause of Christ. Here's my last one. Hold your bladders. We're, we're, we're very close. We'll wait. 
Number four. Number four. Here's the, the number four problem. And, you know, I just put four together. It's, there's many we can talk about. But I think this is a big one. Sin, when it's unconfessed and unrepented of, it gets in the way of God hearing your prayers. The Bible, now, now here's the thing. The, the Bible is very clear that God really delights in hearing us talk to him. I mean, it is crystal clear God wants a conversation with you. He loves it. He longs for it. He's made a way for it. I mean, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, verse 7, I mean, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door is going to be opened. And that's awesome. That's a promise from Jesus. But sadly, most Christians are living so far beneath the level of joy and usefulness and provision which God intended for us to have. And it's simply because we don't take everything to Him. We live in lack because we're not going to Him. And having a conversation. Asking our Father, provide what we need, God. Pour out, please, Father. But there are those times that when we do ask and we seek and we knock and we don't get a response. Sometimes it's because there's a sin in the way. First Peter 3.7, I think, really proves this point well. Husbands, listen up. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Treat her with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Here's the caveat. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. So what's Peter saying? He's saying that when we sin against our spouse and we don't repent, our prayers get hindered. Now, let's go on to verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Those sound like sinful behaviors. He must turn from evil and do good. Amen. He must seek peace. And pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And what? His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do or practice evil. 
You see, when we live with unconfessed, unjudged, unforsaken sin, it makes it so that God cannot honorably and righteously give us many of the things that we keep asking for. Things that we need. See, God cannot and will not put him in the place of endorsing our unrepentant lifestyle. So everybody say, reset means repent. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin is usually at the root of why things are not going well in our life. Our walk with God, our fruitfulness in life. the sound team just put on a CD real quick and something quiet and soft Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 it says that we should be searching out and examining our ways and turn back to God I want you to know that that's what the Lord is setting up right now. It's an opportunity for you to turn back to God. So let's just, everybody, close your eyes for a moment. Consider our ways. I want you to just look into your heart for a moment. Not talking, not looking, not. Just give God just a minute. I want you to ask him. Is there something I need to do, God, to to do business with you today? Something that stood out in Eric's dream that he had, I felt, is that sometimes when we sin, maybe it involves someone else. Sometimes we just we just do business with God, but we don't do business with each other. Sometimes we just hope it's water under the bridge. We hope bygones will be bygones. The Bible doesn't teach that. 
So ask yourself, is there anyone I've sinned against? Is there anyone I've sinned against? Then I'm going to ask this last question and then I'm going to release you to do business with God at the altar. I want to meet with a member of our prayer team, our evangelism team. But I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus your Savior? Do you really make him the Lord of your life? That answer is the most important answer you could ever come to a conclusion about. Is Jesus your Savior? Maybe he was. Maybe he was a long time ago. But you've been walking down the wide path for so long it doesn't doesn't even register. If you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or you're here and at one time you knew Jesus, but now you've lost it. You've lost the fellowship of God. If you're in this place today and you're ready to make a change, God calls all people to repentance. So if you're here today and you're ready to receive Jesus, a man who is a savior, who is a king, and ultimately your judge, if you're here today and you're ready not to come run into a sugar daddy who heals all your boo-boos, but to a conquering king who wants to own you. If that's you today, I just need you to slip your hand in there so I can see it. You're ready to ask Jesus into your heart. Or you're, you're saying, I want to I recommit my life. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. Thank you. I see your hand. See your hand. Thank you. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Mike and a couple of the evangelism team to come over here. I'm going to ask some of the prayer team to come up over here right now, if you would, please. If you raised your hand for salvation or to rededicate your life, I encourage you to come over here to the evangelism team and they will lead you in a prayer of repentance and confession. If you're here and you just need some prayer for life or pain or suffering or whatever it is, then come over here to our altar team. Come now. Now's the time for this. Be saved and be healed today.
Let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, you call us to this because of love. Not because you're angry or you want to hurt us or you want us feeling miserable and condemned, but you come to convict us of sin so that we can live holy and full of joy, God. So today I pray for us here today, Lord. I pray for all who are here that we would keep short accounts with you and short accounts with each other, God. I thank you for those who have walked up here to be to, to, to ask Christ into their life or to rededicate their lives, God. I bless them in the name of Jesus. And Father, today I ask, Holy Spirit, come and restore joy to those who need it as they walk out their repentance and their confession. Father, we love you praise you and we give you thanks thank you God that reset means repent we bless you and thank you in Jesus name everybody says amen I'm going to ask you to be quiet as you leave if you need prayer come up and you can receive prayer next week I'm going to talk about the faithfulness of God when we do repent Amen.